Hello everyone, welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. This is David Dacker, your host. This is uh, the second week of January 2019. We're chugging along in 2019. So, I got some uh, pretty cool stuff going on right now. Uh, this past Monday was the uh, bartender prom from the uh, United States Bartenders Guild, the USBG, Houston chapter. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was nice to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool that the uh, chapter is able to uh, have the sort of stability that it has enjoyed in the last few years. So, kudos to the, uh, the guys in charge. That would be Robbie, Nate, Chaco, Chex, and Tomas. You guys rock. So, for this month, uh, we have our speed rack coming up. It, it's going to be in Houston, and that is January the 28th. So make sure that you go out. It's for a good cause, uh, breast cancer. And, um, you know, you get to see some pretty badass bartending happening right in front of you. So one of the things that I want to talk about today is the spirit that is not very well known. Um, a there's a cocktail made with it that is better known than the spirit itself, but the spirit is not very well uh, understood. And I think that's why it is uh, not broadly used, even though I think that it is something that is much more versatile than what people consider it to be um, or understand it to be. But um, it's, um, it's still kind of in the uh, outskirts. I... Um, talking about pisco a lot of people know the pisco sour but they don't necessarily know what pisco is which is interesting because um, the cocktail has become so famous <laughs> that people don't know um, what it's made of and I personally find it to be extremely versatile just about any cocktail that you make with vodka or gin um, you can make with Pisco some minor adjustments I'd say uh, but not not much at all um, I make a French 75 with Pisco and I don't adjust the recipe at all and it's pretty fucking delicious the uh, interesting thing about Pisco is that it goes way way back to when um, distillation was brought to the Americas uh, the oldest distilled um, product in the Americas and a few in interesting things about it is it's um, similar to, to brandy except it sees no aging uh, at least in, in Peru alright so you have the grapes you have uh, you make wine out of it so you take the juice you ferment it uh, you have a wine I'm going to mainly focus on Peruvian uh, Pisco for this because there's a few distinctions that don't exist in, in Chile. Um, for instance, in Chile you can you can you can age the Pisco. Uh, in Peru you cannot. This is not allowed. So your clear spirit uh, has to taste the way that you want it to taste. So you have to do all the work without the uh, added flavor or added benefit. You know, benefit call it you know. The added benefit, or like like I said, uh, of the aging process, which is going to mellow the spirit and is going to add 
um, flavors depending on what type of oak uh, you're using. You have that, okay? So you make the wine and then you distill it. So the other difference is, uh, aside from aging, that exists in Peru versus Chile is that in Chile you're able to dilute uh, the, the, the spirit. What does that mean? Whenever you make um, uh, whiskey, which whiskey is a distillate made of grain, either corn, wheat, rye, uh, barley, and um, you put it in the barrel, it goes into the barrel fairly hot. In other words, it's a higher proof than 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 what most bottles, most whiskeys bottled at. So that's why you have some bottles that are the barrel proof, meaning that there is no dilution to it. And normally you'll have it at, you know, anywhere between 120 and 130 proof. Um, and part of that increase or higher proof uh, has to do with evaporation over water. And so it leaves more alcohol behind. Um, all right. So that said, let's talk about Peruvian Pisco. Peruvian Pisco is uh, distilled to proof. And uh, what, is, what, what does that mean? So that means that it's a um, single distillation process. They basically get the wine to where they want it as far as flavors, alcohol content, in through experience and uh it's the way they know this because it's one shot so they distill it once and what they get is what they get once you get there if uh you don't get it to the right proof then uh you have to toss it but there is a range and i'm not sure what the range is right now um 80 to 86 proof maybe but uh there's a range that you have to hit it can be a higher proof it can be lower I find that one of the most interesting things about Peruvian Pisco because all the work is done at the beginning. In other words, you you the way that you grow the grapes, the way that you treat the grapes um, to make the wine and the wine that you make, all is pretty much what you're going to end up with in the this final distillate because you're can't add subtract or age it so whatever you have there is is what you're gonna be able to extract from you know again unlike other spirits where you get at a higher proof and then you add water or glycerin to to cut it um, or you throw it in a barrel and you age it to smooth it out in the case with uh, Peruvian Pisco you don't have any of those options so how you treat the grape and how you make your wine it, it's crucial to the final product that you end up with. Now, speaking of grapes and wine, um, there are specific grapes that can be used uh, to make Pisco in Peru. And that is, uh, there's eight of them. Uh, Quebranta, Moyan, Negra Criolla, and Uviña. Then you have uh, more aromatic grapes like the Albilla, Italia, Torontel, and Moscatel. And then you have a couple of different styles of pisco that come out of there. You have the uh, puros, which are the single grapes. You have the uh, mosto verde, um, which uh, 
stops the per fermentation process prior to 100% conversion of the grapes to uh, the sugar to wine. So there's going to keep residual sugar in there, which is going to make the wine richer and fuller um, at the end, including your final distillate. So those are really interesting whenever you taste them uh, side by side. Uh, right now, I am tasting um, the Torrontel from uh, La Carabedo, which is formerly Pisco Porton. Um, if you know anything about this, uh, Johnny Schuler is uh, the master distiller there. And uh, it's a really good product. Acholado is one of the ones that I prefer for cocktails, and that's another style of uh, pisco which is going to be a blend of two or more grapes of, of the eight um, and the reason why is because it tends to have more complexity that I think that shows off uh, better in most cocktails now the uh, Torrontel I think that I really haven't had it in a, in a cocktail yet but I would imagine that in a French 75 or pisco 75 however you want to call it that it is uh that is going to be uh, nice and aromatic uh, for that. So then, it, to me, thinking about Pisco is sort of thinking about Mezcal in the artisanal type of way. Um, and what I mean that by that is is that whenever you look at, at the Mezcal production right now is being ramped up. And so is being made in large um, quantities, which means uh, large facilities. I'm talking about the stuff that you get from the farmers, uh, guys that have equipment that is very limiting in how much they can produce. Um, at the same time, it, it forces them to control the quality of it um, um, very precisely because they're competing with everyone else. But that is, a, that is your artisanal mezcal. That is the reason why mezcal can command the prices that it does. I mean, $80 bottle mezcal, whenever there's only a couple of hundred bottles produced in the world, that's a fucking bargain. Um, that's not necessarily what uh, Pisco is, but I appreciate them both because in mezcal, you can only distill twice. So you only have two chances to, to get it right. And then that's, that's it, right? Because whatever you find a product, same thing. I'm not into mezcals that are that are aged. I don't think that the uh, the category needs it because it is so incredibly complex and delicious whenever it is done correctly. And by done correctly, I mean whenever the agave is uh, picked at the right time with the right sugar levels, um, and whenever the uh, distiller understands um, the the process of getting it to. The final flavor profile that they're looking for so i'm a fan of the artisanal uh, methods that uh, mezcal and pisco uh, are producing i just appreciate how much work and knowledge understanding and experience it goes into getting having essentially one shot to do something and getting it right every time well i mean at least what we get in the bottle is right every time but it feels authentic, um, and it's, uh, I appreciate it for what it is. Now, that's not saying that uh, whiskey is not fantastic or rum or you know any other uh, category. I just 
again, I appreciate it for what it is. In the sense of uh, cognac or whiskey, um, the blending is really the the art form, um, especially whenever you're looking for consistency in, in bigger brands where uh, you have to, well, not even just bigger brands, but in general, the, you're looking for consistency in your product. And uh, for those people that, that taste and blend, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's quite the skill. And uh, I appreciate that. But the beauty of, man, you just make this wine and then you distill it to exactly what you want it to be. Now, that's incredible. That's impressive. So I'm a big fan. I hope that you uh, get yourself some Pisco, make yourself a delicious Pisco sour. And I will have a recipe for a Pisco sour uh, on the descriptions. And I'll put some links uh, to Johnny's, uh, uh, I guess, videos, interviews, and you can hear more about the uh, the process. He has a beautiful facility uh, there in Peru, um, in Valle Inca, I think it's, it's called. And, um, and I'll put a link to that too. Also, I'm going to add to this that unlike the uh, Whiskey Sour, I did the uh, program on that a couple of uh, weeks ago, Unlike the whiskey sour where you get the option of uh, egg or no egg, the pisco sour does get an egg that is part of the recipe from day one. And so there's no pisco sour without egg. Don't even try it. All right. So that's that. Now, um, I've been uh, working downtown at uh, High and Dry, picking up shifts there until my next project comes up. And, um, you know, it's been a pretty cool experience, uh, overall the, um, it's a fun bar. It's a really, really, really fun bar. Um, and so it's, uh, it's been a blast for me, uh, great staff been, uh, really, truly enjoyed and appreciate, uh, the whole staff for, uh, you know, allowing me to, to get in there and, and, uh, you know, be part of the team for a little bit, but, it's been cool too because it's been several years since I um, worked downtown, and I've been noticing, you know, yeah, it's like I just keep getting older and and they stay the same age, type of thing. Um, young people, whoever it is out there, if you're not industry or you're fresh to the industry and you're in your early twenties. There's a few things you should do whenever you go at the bar and you order your fucking drink. First off, know what the drink is called. Secondly, uh, have your payment ready. Okay. And thirdly, don't order drinks for a group one by one. All right. This is just simple shit. And the first one is, you know, yeah, I'll have a soda with lime and vodka. No, it's a vodka soda. And the garnish of the vodka soda is a lime. You don't need to tell me about that. All right? On payment, it's like, I'll go get the shit to make your drink, come back with the drink done, hand it over to you, want to open up a tab. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, 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 I'll close it. Dig into your purse or your wallet. Pick out this card. No, no, I want this card. Oh, maybe I should do cash. 
Motherfucker, you should have. You know, you should have thought about that before. <laughs> it is a little frustrating. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, I've, but it is. Um, you know, especially whenever we are really busy, right? Because you're holding up the line for the person behind you. And if you feel like you waited too long, it's probably because the person in front of you is doing the same shit you did. So don't be that person, you know? Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. And then the other one is, yeah, I'll have a whatever drink, whatever drink. Okay, come back. Yeah, and uh, and a Dos Equis, uh, okay, anything else? Well, a Bud Light and, a, and, a, and an Ultra. Well, you can give me the whole order at once? So, again, you got to teach y'all. You're new. I mean, <laughs> it, it's like uh, early, mid-20s. Um, I remember being an idiot in those years, so I'm not judging you for being anyone. All right. I hope that you, uh, enjoyed this episode, learned a little something along with it. Play around with some Pisco. See what you think. Make a margarita with it. Make a Pisco sour. Make a French 75. Those are all fun cocktails, uh, to do with Pisco and, uh, you know, move it around. The acholado, very different from the uh, torrontel. But um, that's the fun part of uh, experimenting, right? So make sure that you uh, check out the website at uh, openbar.space. Um, I am on TuneIn, so you should be able to find me on Alexa. Um, there's uh, Apple Podcasts as well as Stitcher and Overcast which I think in last episode, I call it Outcast. I was just jamming some Outcast. I just couldn't get out of my head. Anyways, um, yeah. Come on, if you're in Houston, come on downtown. Have a good time. A lot of fun bars there. I'll be at High and Dry this weekend and uh, enjoying myself while working. Tons of rum, tons of fun uh, cocktails, lots of fire. And, um, and remember... Take care of yourself, take care of each other, and keep the conversation going.